You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. Last week before our 9 a.m. service, I noticed a guest sitting by herself and like I try to do, I try to, uh, to greet guests if I can uh, to get to know them. And so this lady, I went up to her and uh, I just began to ask some questions, just, you know, the generic, you know, questions of like, hey, what is your name? Are you from Paragold? How did you find out about the crossing? And as she began to open up, it became uh, pretty obvious to me pretty quickly that she, just like a lot of us, has experienced a lot of pain in her life. And so this woman specifically had experienced a lot of pain and is experiencing a lot of pain as a result of some conflict within her own family. And so I listen to her the best I can. And uh, eventually I have to go and pray with the band before the service. And so Karen Dillon was walking around and she had an opportunity to kind of uh, overhear this conversation. So as she sees I'm about to walk away, and I love this about Karen, she moved kind of uh, into the gap there and she began to talk with this lady and listen to her for a while. And then eventually, you know, Karen has like 1,500 things to do every Sunday morning. So she had to go and uh, do some things that were being expected of her. And as she was about to walk away, the lady looked at her and said, hey, I just want to thank you for listening to me. She said, you know, I, I live by myself, and so I don't have a lot of people that get to hear me talk. And so when someone actually takes the time to listen, it really means the world to me. And what this lady was hitting on is something that I think all of us know to be true, which is the reality that listening is really powerful. And it's powerful because when you feel heard by someone, you feel loved by someone. Theologian David Augsburger says this, Being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, they are almost indistinguishable. Think about that. Being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, they are almost indistinguishable. In other words, listening and loving, they go hand in hand. If, if you feel like someone has listened to you, oftentimes you feel like someone has loved you. And therefore, because these two work together, it should come as no surprise to us. The Bible actually has a lot to say on this topic of listening. For example, in Proverbs 18.2, it says, Fools find no pleasure in understanding but they delight in expressing their own opinions. So you want to know what a foolish person looks like? There's someone who doesn't care about what you have to say or why or what's going on within you. They just want to express their own opinions. Proverbs 18.13 says, To answer before listening, that is foley and shame. Picking up on this idea in the New Testament, James, the brother of Jesus, says this. This is James 1, verse 19. He said, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. Notice how he starts that line, by the way. He's writing to, uh, to Christians, and he doesn't say, dear members of the church or dear friends. He says, dear brothers and sisters. Why does he address them that way? Because to be a Christian is to be a son of God, or it's to be a daughter of God. And if you are a son or a daughter of God, then that means that we are brothers and sisters. We are family. And James says, if we are going to be a healthy church family, we must be a people who are quick to listen and slow to speak. That should be the reputation of the crossing church. Quick to listen, slow to speak. And yet so often this in the American church or the opposite is true in the American church. Most of the time we are actually quick to speak and slow to listen. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German theologian who ran an underground Christian seminary during the height of the Nazi uh, movement and empire. And, And in his seminal book, 
life together, he talks about what he calls a ministry of listening, a ministry of listening. Here's what he says. He's talking, again, remember to seminary students. He says, the first service that one owes to others in community involves listening to them. Just as our love for God begins with listening to God's word, the beginning of love for other people begins with listening to them. God's love for us is shown by the fact that God not only gives us his word, but he also lends us his ear. We do God's work when we learn to listen to one another. The problem is that oftentimes Christians, especially preachers, I'm glad you threw that in there, forget that listening can be a greater service than speaking. People, listen to this line, people are searching for a sympathetic ear that will listen, but they rarely find it among Christians. Many Christians are talking when they should be listening. I don't know about for you, but for me, that has been a really convicting quote to meditate on. Because again, like I can tend to be the person who is very quick to speak and very slow to listen. I think of moments in my own life where I have cut people off in mid-sentence because I felt like what I had to say was more important than what they had to say. Or I think of times where I pretended like I was listening when I wasn't really listening. My mind was somewhere else. Or times where, you know, maybe I offered up my opinion on something when nobody asked for my opinion. We do this on social media all the time. This is people really need to hear what I have to say on this whatever fill-in-the-blank topic. Or there are times where, you know, even like yesterday, where my wife comes in and she wants to talk about something that's on her heart, and she's about 45 seconds in, and I feel like that's a long time to listen, you know, 45 seconds. And so I begin to ask some questions. I kind of cut her off, and I'm like, oh, are you? And I'm asking these questions. And she said, Jared, said it very kindly, but was like, if you would let me talk, I'm going to answer the questions that you are asking me. You know, and so I just want you to know, like, to be clear, as I teach on this topic today, like, this ministry of listening does not come natural for me. And my guess is, like, if you're being honest, the same is true for some of you, whether it be because of your personality or because you're overly busy, or if you're just being honest, you just don't really care that much about other people, you struggle to listen. You struggle to give another person your focused and loving attention. And if this is where you are today, I want you to know that you're actually not alone. You're in the majority of people. I was reading an article in Psychology Today this past week, and it was reported that 96% of people believe they are good listeners. So if we did a poll, like almost 100% of you right now would be like, I don't need this sermon. Like, I'm a really good listener. And yet, studies show that the average American only retains about half of what they hear people say. And that was a study, by the way, on short-term memory, not long-term memory. So if I have a conversation with you in the hallway, there's a chance I'm only going to retain 50% of what you even said. And so we all think we're good listeners, when in fact most of us really aren't that good at listening. There's a big gap between our confidence and our ability to listen and our actual ability to listen. And this gap can be seen uh, in places like YouTube. I was on YouTube earlier this week trying to search for maybe a good sermon illustration or to look at some stats. And I got on YouTube and I talked in TED Talk Listening. And I know you might not be able to, to see this, but the first video that came up was by Julian Treasure. And here's the talk, five ways to be a better listener. It has 4.1 million views. But then three years later, the exact same person gave a different talk, how to speak so that other people want to listen. And I don't know if you can see that, but it has 35 million million views. So 31 million people are way more interested in talking in such a way you'll listen rather than learning how to listen. 
And what that tells us is that clearly everybody in this room wants to be heard, but nobody wants to listen, and therefore nobody really feels heard. And I think this is a big reason why we are living in what sociologists refer to as the loneliness epidemic. Because if we fail to listen to one another, people are not going to feel love. They're going to feel lonely. They're going to struggle to believe like you actually care about them. And because this is true, my prayer this week is that God would, would turn us into a family, a family that actually takes listening seriously. That we would see this as a ministry. And as a result of our focused attention on the other, more and more people would experience love over loneliness. In this community, more and more people, because we are taking a listening posture, they are experiencing God's loving presence. And if this is going to become a reality, here's what I want you to see today. We are ultimately not going to become good listeners because I give you some tools, tips, and techniques. And I will give you those at the end of the message. But, but that's not going to make you a good listener. Like More than you need that, like you need a desire. Like, if you don't care, like, even right now, if you're like, I really don't care about this whole talk on listening, like, you're not going to be a good listener. You're just not. And so what I want you to hear today is, is like, I'm all about tips, tools, and techniques, but uh, I love to get practical. But what you need to know is that if you're going to be a good listener, more than you need methods, you need the proper motivation. Like, more than this being about the posture of your ears, this is about the condition of your heart. And so what I want to do, just as an attempt to try to get our hearts in the right place, I want to look at several different passages in Scripture. And I want you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 3, if you will. Grab your Bible, turn with me to Genesis 3, or, or pull it up on the app on your phone. I'm going to go back kind of uh, to the very front of your Bible. It's on page 5 in mine. But just to set the, the context for you, God has created the world. And at this point, it's beautiful, it's rhythmic, it's as it should be. And at the climax of his creation, he creates Adam and Eve. And like all human beings, they're created in the image of God to mirror to the world what God is like. And then God creates, uh, he puts them in the Garden of Eden, which means the Garden of Delight. And he's, here's what he says. He says, look, I, I, you can have whatever you want as far as the eye can see, but do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You can have everything else, but don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. My daughter asked me this past week, we were on the way to school, and she said, Dad, why did God even put that tree in the garden? That's a great question to ask, right? I, the Bible doesn't tell us, but, but my guess is he put it there because he wanted to give us a choice. God doesn't want to force you to love him. And so he says, you're going to have a choice every day to, to love me or love you know, something other than me. You're going to have a choice to, to trust my definition of what is good and right and true, or you can try to decide for yourself what is good and right and true. You can kind of determine that, and you can kind of figure out if you want to be God or you want to trust me to be God. And if you've been in the church for any length of time, like you know how this ends, right? Adam and Eve eventually... Rather than listening to God, they listen to the serpent. They decide to eat of the fruit from this tree that God said don't eat from. And immediately, right here on page 5 in my Bible, we are introduced to this biblical concept of sin. And sin, simply put, is this. Sin is whenever you decide to call the shots for yourself. Or as Tim Mackey from the Bible Project says, that sin is an inward turn of the human heart to do what is good for me and my tribe even at the expense of you and your tribe. And so sin is literally the opposite of loving God and loving one another. And this is what happens in Genesis 3. Adam and Eve eat of the tree. God told them not to eat from. As a result, sin enters the picture. And when sin comes into the picture, so does death and all kinds of destruction. There's a physical death that Adam and Eve and now all humans experience. But even more devastating than that, there is a spiritual death. There's a relational death. Their, their relationship with one another is fractured. The relationship with God is fractured. And if you were just reading this Bible for the very first time, 
and you had never read it before, you would probably think at this point, God would say, okay, you know what? I'm done with humanity. Forget it. Like, God doesn't need us. It's not like God was lonely and needed a pal. Like, God doesn't need anything. So if I'm God, I'm like, you know what? I don't need this. This is a headache that I don't want. So I'm done with it. Just forget the whole thing. But that is not at all the way God responds. Look with me, Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. It says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and he said, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And then God asked the question, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman. It's her fault. Like this woman you gave me. She gave me some fruit and I ate of it. So that's why we're in this mess. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The snake deceived me and I ate. Now, there's so much that we could talk about here in this passage. Before our purpose is the day, here's what I want you to see. Adam and Eve blow it big time right here. Big time. For all of us. Uh, I mean, there's no sin ever committed in the history of the world that had more consequences on your life and my life than this sin. And despite their disobedience, here's what I want you to see, right? That they sin against God. They know what they did was wrong. And like some children do, right? Like if they, if they break something valuable in the house, they might want to try to hide from the parent. That's what's happening here. They break God's world and they try to hide from him. But notice what happens in this story. Despite their failures and their flaws and their massive sin with all these massive consequences, despite the fact that they just blew it big time, God walks on the scene. And don't miss this. Because God is love, the first thing he does is listens. He asks a question. Where are you? And it's not because God doesn't know where they are. He's trying to draw them out. And when I was a kid, I looked at this question kind of like uh, uh, Harry in Home Alone. Anybody here seen the movie Home Alone, Christmas movie? It's a great one. And you remember the scene where, like, Harry has just fallen down the steps multiple times because Kevin had iced him. And then, like, he opens the door and his, like, head gets, like, you know, the, the blowtorch hits his head. And, like, you know, his you know, hair's on fire and all that kind of stuff. And then what happens? Eventually, he busts through the door. And what does he say? He says, where are you, you little creep? Remember that? Home alone? I used to think like, that's what's happening right here. That God is calling Adam out because he wants Adam to pay for the mess and the damage that he has done. But that's not what happens here in the story. Not what happens at all because God is compassionate and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He wants to call Adam out of, out of hiding. But listen to this. Not for the purpose of condemnation, for the purpose of conversation. And what's amazing to me is it's not a one-way conversation. If I would have been God, here's what I would have done. I would have called him out and I said, now you're going to sit here and you're going to shut up and you're going to listen to me tell you about everything you just did wrong. That's what Jared Pickney would have done. But that is not what God does. Again, guys, you've you got to remember, like I know we hear these stories so much, it's like, yeah, 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 like this is the word of God. Like hear this for the very first time, this story. The knee-jerk reaction God has to what Adam and Eve just did is he asks a question. Where are you? And he engages in this back-and-forth conversation. He asks a question. Adam responds. God listens. God asks a question. Adam then responds again. God listens again. He then involves Eve in the conversation. He asks Eve a question. Eve responds. 
God listens again. This doesn't need to fall on deaf ears today. Adam McHugh, uh, in his book, The Listening Life, um, it's a book that was recommended to me years ago by uh, Richard Plass. I went back and looked at my notes this week, and, and here's what he says about this. I thought this was fantastic. He says, The cosmos hangs together by God's word. Galaxies and constellations obey when he speaks. But this undisputed champion of creation is a listener. God has absolutely no obligation to pay attention to anyone or anything. He could wield his power however he chooses, and every wood could only clear out of the way. The Lord astonishes us and completely flips power on its ear by entering into a listening relationship with people. Where are you? That's how he responds. Asking a question, listening, this back and forth conversation. And in response to this conversation, in verse 15, we don't have time to look at it, but God then makes this phenomenal promise. He says to Adam and Eve, listen, you've broke this thing beyond what you can repair. That's the bad news. But the good news is I'm going to repair it. I'm going to send my son to be born of woman. And he is going to, he says to the serpent, you're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. He's going to fix this thing. And then what happens next? You fast forward to the New Testament and thousands of years later, just as God had promised, a son is born of a virgin. And this isn't just any son. This is the son of God. This is Jesus. Paul says in Colossians that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. In Hebrews 1, it says he is the radiance of God's glory. And so if you ever want to know, like, what is the creator God like? You look at Jesus. And what do we see about God when we look at Jesus? Well, again, we find a God who listens. A God who lowers himself down into our lives for the purpose of paying focus and loving attention to the needs of other people. And there are so many stories and examples I could give you of this, but I just want to read uh, one. Turn with me to Mark chapter 10. I want you to see this yourself. Mark chapter 10. Turn with me there. And just as at the context for you, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's about to be crucified. And so he obviously would have a lot on his mind. He's got important things to do. But as he's going to Jerusalem, he passed through Jericho. And in the Bible, you need to know this, the city of Jericho represents a city of sin. And there in Jericho, there's blind Bartimaeus. And in the first century, if you were blind, people would have said you were blind because of your sin. And what scholars will tell you is that, that this, this, this physical blindness that Bartimaeus has, it represents a spiritual blindness that each of us are born with. So the truth is, when you are born, you are born into sin, which means you are born blind, which means you cannot see reality. You cannot see God as he really is. You cannot see yourself as you really are. You can't see others as they really are. Because of sin, we all are just kind of wandering aimlessly through life without a purpose. And apart from Christ, we will wander into destruction. That's what this story represents. And I just want to, I want you to see this with your own eyes. Look what happens. This is uh, Mark 10, verse 46. It says, and they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, was sitting on the roadside begging. Have you ever gotten so desperate in your life that you were begging for something? This man is absolutely desperate. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Look right at me. The beginning of salvation is always desperation. If you don't see your desperate need for Jesus, you will not be saved by Jesus. Salvation begins when you come to an end of yourself and you realize, I cannot fix this. I cannot save myself. Only Christ can save me. That's where this man is. He cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. 
But many rebuked the man and told him to be quiet. They're embarrassed by him. That's what the world does. The world will do whatever it can to keep you from Jesus. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. So he's persevering in prayer. And then look at this, verse 49. Jesus stopped. In the midst of his busyness, in the midst of knowing he's about to go take on the wrath of God for you and me, he stopped. And he becomes the steel calm point in the midst of a chaotic world. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called the blind man, cheer up. Why would they say cheer up? Because the real Jesus brings real joy. Imagine a joyful church, a cheerful church. Like, like that's what Jesus wants to bring. Or we don't have to remind our faces of what is true in our hearts. Like, man, like Jesus brings joy, excitement, cheer. Cheer up. On your feet, he's calling you and then throwing his cloak aside. He jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. So notice the, the, the vigor and the passion in his life. I was thinking this morning about this passage, and, and, and maybe for some of you, you're pretty apathetic in your spiritual journey right now. Not a lot of excitement when it comes to your relationship to Jesus. And if that's where you are, like no condemnation for me, but my prayer for you has been the day that you would hear Jesus calling you. The real resurrected Jesus calling your name, calling you to him. This creates excitement. This creates joy. This creates cheer. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. And then don't miss this, verse 51. Look how Jesus responds. He responds with the question, what do you want me to do for you? I'm going to ask you right now, if Jesus was right here and it was just you and him and he asked you the question, what do you want me to do for you? How would you answer? It's not as easy as you'd think. You're going to ask for more money, ask for a better marriage. You're going to ask for him to take some pain away in your life. Jesus, what do you want me to do for you? He can see the man's blind, but he wants the man to vocalize with his own heart what he wants. What do you want me to do for Jesus? Jesus in the, in, in the New Testament, I, I read this earlier this week, he asked 180 different questions. It's always for the purpose of pulling somebody out, to pull out their desires. What do you want me to do for you? And the man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. So now he's got direction. Now he's heading towards a life. There's so much that is in here, but just here's what I want you to see for our purposes for the topic today. Jesus is God in the flesh. And what does he do over and over and over? He takes time to listen to people that nobody else will listen to. And this isn't a one-off. I didn't just like pull this out of thin air to be like, how can I support my point? Like this is all over the place. I was thinking about Luke chapter 8. We don't have time to read there, but I've got a, a screenshot, I think, from uh, uh, the show Chosen. Uh, anybody here watch The Chosen? Oh, a lot of you. It's so good. I don't know if y'all saw this episode. It was about the woman with the, the issue of blood. She'd been bleeding for years and years and years, and nobody could help her. And she finds, she gets catches wind that Jesus is traveling through a town, and, and she thinks, if I could just touch his garment, I know I would be healed. It's an incredible amount of faith. And so she makes her way through the crowd and, and she grabs the back of Jesus' garment and immediately she's healed. Jesus said, it says in the scripture, that Jesus felt uh, the power come out of him. So Jesus, by the way, side note, he said he always did what the Father told him to do. He was great at listening to the Father and he was great at listening to his own body. He could tell when power went out of him. How many of you would even know if power went out of you right now? 
We're just not really that connected. But Jesus was very connected in that way. The woman touches him. Power comes out. And I love this. He could have just kept on moving, been like, great, somebody got healing, good for them. But the Bible says that God or that Jesus actually turned around and he looks at this woman. And in verse 47 of Luke 8, it says, when she realized that she could not go unnoticed, she began to tell Jesus her whole story. She just begins to break down. The chosen does a beautiful job. Just begins to weep, to sob, and to talk about, here's why I did this. I'm sorry. I know I'm unclean. I know as a woman of blood, I'm not supposed to touch anybody. I'm not supposed to go into the temple. I shouldn't be around a holy man like you. I'm so sorry. She begins to apologize. And Jesus, in this moment, it's amazing. What he gives this woman is something way better than physical healing. He listens to this woman. About listening to her, he provides a context where she can be heard, where she can be known, she can be long, and she can be loved. I think about the story in John chapter 4, next slide. This also is in The Chosen. And you can see this, right, where Jesus goes out of his way in John chapter 4 to Samaria, specifically to meet with one woman. One woman who, think about this, was not only despised by the Jews, but was despised by her own people, by the Samaritans, because she was so sexually immoral. And Jesus shows up at the well, and what is the first thing he does? Anybody remember? He asks a question. He asks a question, and he begins to go through this very long conversation that we have kind of an edited version probably of in our own Bible, but he goes through this long conversation with her, and he begins to draw out her heart. He says, look, you're trying to draw physical water to quench your physical thirst. What you're really trying to do is by you're going to all these men, and you're trying to get living water. You're trying to get satisfaction, and I'm telling you, you're never going to find it in those men. You're only going to find it in me, and there are so many more examples I could give, but here's just the point, guys. Because our God is love, our God does listen. From the garden to the gospels, God is famous. He is notorious for lowering himself down to the level of others, and he listens not passively, he listens not partially, he listens not dismissively, he listens deeply. He gives his full attention specifically we see to the last, the least, and even the lost of society. And the reason I share all of that is just to say this. If you are a disciple of Jesus, the same should be true of you. The same should be said of you, and it should be said of me. You know, we've talked about this before, but to be a disciple of Jesus is to reorient your life around three goals. You remember what they are? Be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. And if that is true, and it is, what that means is that if Jesus lowered himself down into the lives of others to listen to them, we need to intentionally and regularly be lowering ourselves down to the lives of others to do the exact same thing, to listen to them. And this ultimately brings us back to Philippians chapter 2, which was read earlier. And don't freak out if you're like, wow, he's just now getting to the main text. I'm only going to talk about this for like a minute or two. But look back with me in Philippians 2, and I want you to see this again. Hear this with fresh ears, with a fresh heart, with a fresh mind. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul, writing from prison to the church of Philippi, he says, you want to be a healthy family? You want to be relationally healthy? You want to be a person who's known for love? Like, man, what a... Would anything greater be said about you than that you were known for love? I mean, is there anything else you'd even want to be known for more than that? Successful, popular, rich none of that's going to matter in the end. Like, would that not be an awesome testimony? Like, when I was around that person, all I know is that I felt loved. Paul says, you want to become a person of love? Here's what you do. 
Philippians 2 verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you looking to the interests of others. You want to become a person of love? Paul says, take on the posture of a servant. Consider the interest of others, he says, above even your own interest. And I don't know really of any greater way to do that than to just listen to somebody else when they're trying to share with you their heart. Deborah Van Dusen Hunsinger has a very long name. And she, in her book, Praying Without Ceasing, Revitalizing Pastoral Care, says the following. When listeners empty themselves of their own preoccupations in order to be fully present to another, they are in their own small way following the example of Christ who emptied himself of his equality with God in order to participate fully in our human plight. By showing attentive concern to others, listeners point beyond themselves to a listening God. Such conversations take place not for their own sake, but as a sign and witness to the God who takes human need to heart. The invitation this morning is this. Crossing Church, here's the invitation. It is to begin to view our conversations as a way to showing people the love of God. And not just in how we talk, but also in how we listen. And therefore, the question maybe you're asking is, how do we do this? How do we do this? And again, the motivation matters way more than the method. But because there's some type A personalities like me in here, and you want some practical stuff, I'm going to give you some practical stuff. And this part of the message, by the way, comes straight out of Pete Scazzaro's Emotionally Healthy Relationships book. And here's what he says. If you want to begin to listen deeply, and by the way, everything I'm about to tell you is not like if you're in the hallway and someone's going to the bathroom. Like, don't, don't, if you do it at the end, it's going to be super awkward, and it's going to be super annoying, okay? So this is about when you're trying to listen deeply to somebody else. Five things, practical things. Number one, if you want to grow and become a better listener, give people your full attention. Put away distractions. Stop looking at your phone or your screen. I know that most of us feel like we're really good at multitasking, and multitasking is a myth. None of us are great at it. And I will say this, and and I I struggle with this with my wife. She brought this up like, if you're looking at something while someone else is talking, even if you're listening, it just looks rude. Like, it just doesn't look like you're really that concerned. Like, you're, you're, you're really somewhere else rather than being right there with them. And so give the speaker your full attention. I was talking um, with uh, Dr. Brian Baltz. He's in our missional community, member of our church. He's a physician, uh, owns his own clinic. And, and, and he was telling me this past week just how important listening was in medical school. They would teach you to be an active listener. And you guys have all been around doctors who are good listeners versus doctors who are bad listeners, Right. There are some doctors, they walk in the room and you can tell they've got 15 other patients to get to and they really aren't that concerned about what you have to say. Like they're looking at their thing, they're like standing up. And Brian says, one of the things they teach you is when you're a doctor, you go into the room and you just sit down with somebody because you don't just listen with your ears, you listen with your body, you listen with your eyes, you give them your full attention. So give the speaker your full attention. Secondly, step into the speaker's shoes and feel what they are feeling. In other words, be empathetic. And for the record, there's a big difference between sympathy and empathy. Um, uh, Brene Brown has a great video on YouTube about this. Uh, She talks about sympathy 
is whenever your friend falls down into a pit and you just kind of look down and you're like, oh, that looks rough. And then you kind of like just walk on. That's sympathy. Uh, you know, you might offer them a sandwich or something, and then, but then you walk on, right? That's sympathy. Empathy is when you actually, and again, this is a Christ-like posture, you get down into the pit with them. You get down into the mess with them, and you say, you know what? Like, I don't know everything that you're going through, but I'm, I'm willing to sit here with you in that. That's empathy. Uh, we had uh, Dr. Uh, Taylor House on the Paragol podcast this past week with her husband. Uh, Taylor's been a friend of ours for years in our college ministry, and she is now a nephrologist, which means she is a uh, kid's kidney doctor. They live in Wisconsin, and she also has a master's in, in palliative care. She goes all over the world. Matter of fact, she's going to Bangkok in like two weeks to teach doctors basically how to break bad news to parents. And one of the things she said on the podcast was when you go to break bad news to parents, your kid has diabetes or your kid's not going to live or whatever it is, she said what you do is you meet their emotion with emotion. You don't meet their emotion with logic. That's what we all want to do, right? Someone gets afraid and you start telling them why they don't need to be afraid or whatever it is. She said, whatever emotions they're feeling, they're going to have some pretty big emotions at that point. You just learn to sit in the emotions with them. Sorrow, fear, whatever it is. And she says, if that will happen, you then lay the foundation for trust to be built. And when there's trust, then you have an opportunity to have a relationship. Like that's what you're after, this connection. I I was reading a quote from uh, H. Jackson Brown this past week, who's an author. And he says this, everyone you meet is afraid of something, loves something, and has lost something. I wonder what, how our relationships to one another would change if we believe that. Every single person you meet today is afraid of something, they love something, and has lost something. And so step into the speaker's shoes, begin to learn to feel what they are feeling. Third, if you want to listen deeply, and this is a hard one for me especially, avoid judging and interpreting. We, we tend to want to judge others. We tend to say, like, I already think I know what you're going to say. I already know why you did what you did, yada, yada, yada. And you're really just, you're not even really listening because you're so sure that you know as much as God knows and you have their heart desires figured out and exactly what's going on in their mind. And so you just kind of tune them out because you know where they're going. Like, this is a really hard one for me. And this is a lesson that I learned really hard whenever I worked for Arkansas Counseling. I was... Um, I worked as an MHPP for five years. We were in the process of trying to plant this church and uh, I had never really worked a lot with people in poverty and people who had uh, battled addictions. And so I got an opportunity to do this and I just came out of seminary and I'm embarrassed to say this, but I was kind of like, oh, I'm kind of the great white savior who's going to walk in their homes and fix all their problems. And what I realized really quickly is that you can create a big mess when you show up that way. Like, I wasn't able to truly help anybody until I could listen with some curiosity and ask questions and try to understand where it is that they are coming from without judging. And so that's the third thing. When people talk, avoid judging and interpreting. Fourth, reflect back what you hear them say. That might feel a little awkward to some of you, but it's so important. I'm taking a, a master's class right now with Chris Voss, who was the... Um, he was kind of the, the lead negotiator for the FBI for 25 years. So if like someone kidnapped a kid and they were like, hey, we want $2 million for this kid, they would call Chris Voss and he would go and negotiate with the person. And, and, and he wrote a book called Never Split the Difference. We talked about the importance of negotiating and building trust and relationships and all this kind of stuff. And he talks about this step number four. He calls it mirroring, mirroring. He says, if you want the other person to feel heard, You need to mirror back what you just heard them say as accurately as you can. Say, this is what I heard. And oftentimes what's interesting about this is if you will just say back what you heard them say, it will prompt people 
to talk more and to share more because they feel heard. So you're going to be able to get deeper into their heart. And then finally, because Errol says this, if you want to be a deep listener, when the speaker is done or when you think the speaker is done, just ask, hey, was there anything else you want to talk about before we leave? Is there anything else you want to share with me? Anything else you want to say that maybe I, I didn't hear? Okay. And now I know, like if some of you hear that, you're like, wow, like that sounds like a lot of work. And that is a lot of work. And therefore, I would say if we're going to really do this well, it's going to take a lot of time. And because that is true, what that means for some of us today is that if we're ever going to be good listeners, we have got to learn how to slow down. To stop running scared. To become this unhurried, non-anxious presence. And what I've just been reminded of this past week is that if we will do this, it is going to cost us something. Like you want to slow down long enough to become a good listener, it may cost you money because you may have to say no to some of the work that you could be doing to make more money. It may cost you efficiency because you've got places to go, things to do, people to see. You're on a schedule. What time is it? You can't even listen long enough. You, you might, this might cost you some efficiency. This may cost us time on Facebook or vegging out on Netflix because our kids will want to talk to us about something going on in their day. And it might require that we actually have to set our phone aside and our screen aside and listen. It may cost us comfort. And here's the thing. If we will do this, if we will give ourselves to loving others by listening to others, though we may lose something, we will gain so much more. I think of Jesus' words in Acts 20 where he says, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. We've talked about this before, but the Greek word he uses there for blessed is the Greek word makarios. It means to be happy. And so what Jesus says is this. You know who the happiest people are on the planet? It's not the people who just figured out how to make the most money or, or, or you know, get the most success or have the most athletic kids or whatever else. The happiest people on the planet are those who learn how to give their lives away for the sake of others. That's true happiness. It is those who, in the words of Tim Keller, have learned the freedom of self-forgetfulness. Like, wouldn't that be awesome to come to a point where I'm actually thinking more about you than I'm even thinking about myself? Jesus talks about it like, I don't even know what my right hand is doing. It's like, you know, lifting what the right hand is doing kind of thing. It's what Paul's talking about in Philippians 2, putting the interest of others above our own. It's taking a servant posture through the simple and yet powerful act of listening. That's the invitation, church. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Or that's one of the calls of a disciple of Jesus. It is making a commitment to love one another by making the commitment to listen to one another. And if we're going to do this well, we have to continually go back to the gospel. Where we are reminded that the reason that we give our lives away to others is because Jesus first gave his life away to us.